Putting the gray one foot up on the gas There's mountains to climb, giants to slay Lessons to learn, prayers to Y empezamos como es Mi música no discrimina a nadie Así que vamos a romper toda mi gente se mueve Mira el ritmo como los tiene Hago música que entretiene El mundo nos quiere, nos quiere, me quiere a mí Toda mi gente se mueve Mira el ritmo como los tiene Hago música que entretiene Mi música los tiene fuerte bailando y se baila This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, 
Memorias, Composer Spotlights, and more. Always Mas. Thank you so much for tuning in to another installment of the Latino Literary Renaissance. This is Tony Diaz, El Libre Traficante. We are joined by Patrick, who's helping us run the board. Gracias. We don't have a Libre Traficante name for you. And then Libre Traficante, Malu Malren Trevino, holding hey. down the fort. He's helping me out. That's what can right. I say? That's awesome. And, of course, we have a great lineup. At the top of the show, we're going to have La Mera Mera from the Museum of Fine Arts Houston, our friend, Mari Carmen Ramirez. Está en la cabina conmigo. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me here. It's always a pleasure. And Gracias. It, no, y, y mira, it's wonderful that we have so much to talk about, and I can't wait to, to dive in. Uh, we have a special video on Facebook, if folks go to that little premium programming there for you. But uh, before we even get to the interview, te quiero felicitar, because here is yet another great Latino exhibition. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. We're very, very delighted to have this exhibition called Home. So different, so appealing. But I guess we're going to talk about it in yes. a little while. Yes, we're just titillating the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> now, on top of that, because when you come here, we're in a great mood. Uh, I'm going to tell folks about a special surprise that we have just for them. But first, I'll tell you who our second guest will be. Our dear friend, Josh Innocencio, will be joining us on the air again. Of course, you'll remember that we had him on for his uh, stage reading of Purple Eyes a few months back. But he's also going to be part of a special event at the Museum of Fine Arts Houston as part of this exhibit this Thursday. So we'll have him back on the air. And he also has some great news about the evolution of his play. Now, because you are dear listeners... And we're not even on Pledge Drive. I do have a premium for you. At the end of Mari Carmen's interview, although it has nothing to do with your exhibit, we do want to thank our friends at the um, Alley Theater. They have an, a production of The Christmas Carol, which is a tradition. So we're going to give away two pairs of tickets to The Christmas Carol after your interview. So I want them to pay attention. <laughs> but we are going to quiz you. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to give... Uh, Marlene, some questions and answers, and I'll ask the listeners after Mari Carmen's interview, and then when they call you in with the correct answer, the first two folks who call in with the correct answer will win the two pairs of tickets. Now, we went last year, and it really was fun, and my kids have not experienced teatro before, so it was great to see them unnerved by <laughs> seeing the people right there in front of them. So we'll tell you more about that. And that's what we're doing. We're celebrating our literature, our culture in many different capacities and facets. Now, at the very top of the show, I do want to do uh, the Libro Traficante Soapbox <coughs> because there are not enough Chicano, Chicana pundits on TV. There are not enough Latinos kind of putting in context what we're hearing in the media, especially for the elections. But today, I want to applaud... All the Latinos and Latinas that are running for political office. So yesterday was the deadline, and it really is wonderful to see this outpouring of folks who are putting their leisure on the line. It's other folks' money <laughs> that they're putting on the line. Some of theirs, their time, their energy, and it is difficult. I've run for office before. It is very difficult. It's very taxing, but I really commend them for getting on board. So that means you've got to do your part. 
dear listeners. I, and I know if you listen to our show, you are part of the demographic that does vote. You're part of the demographic that reads, etc. That's not good enough then. I need you to become registered deputy voters, which means if you take that course, it's a one-hour course, you are able to register other voters. I'm making a commitment to you today, dear listeners. I'm going to be responsible for registering a 1,000 voters. And I want folks to beat me, to join me, to keep up. But because we are the intelligentsia, we are the activists, we are the folks with free time, we have to take that next step. And that's what it means. It means that if you're enjoying time with your friends, you need to say in your familia, are you registered to vote? Here's how we can look that up. Now, you become that facilitator. Right, And then when they see you, after about three months from now, they'll be like, oh, I have to vote, I have to vote. <laughs> you will teach them to think about it. And then they'll start getting other folks to come to you for that. Now, from top to bottom, especially in Texas, for November 2018, there are a lot of folks running. Now, obviously, because we are a nonprofit station, we can't take a stand for one candidate or the other. We can lobby for issues. We are going to invite many of the candidates for a town hall and then perhaps a debate. And what we do is we invite both candidates or however many there are from, from all parties. Hopefully they'll all take us up on it. We'll go out of our way to make sure they can come. If one doesn't come and the other does, ¿qué podemos hacer? Cumplimos, ¿verdad? And then also we'll let you know when we're doing the live events. A couple of interest in these particular races for a uh, Harris County judge, the current post is held by Republican uh, Ed Emmett. There's another Republican running against him. There's a Latina, Lina Eldago, running against him as well. And I think it's great that there's a Latina running for that particular position. Um, and I'm going to give a shout out to, to uh, one, of, one of my dear friends, Ivan Sanchez, who's running for the congressional seat that was held by Culberson. And... For Ted Poe, there's about nine Republicans, six Democrats. It's going to be an exciting, it's going to be an exciting field. And I really think that's the key. We can keep saying get out the vote. People know that. But I think if we've got pockets of folks working hard to get people out to vote, they will do that. And again, we are a nonprofit station. We're not saying we want one side or the other to win. We're merely pointing out who the Latino candidates are. Uh, I'll be fair too. Uh, Christopher Hinojosa is a Latino running for Republican chair of the Republican Party so that people don't think that we're taking sides during the elections. I take sides Sundays on Fox 26 Houston. <laughs> so if you, if you want a good argument, I'm at 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. Sundays in the political talk shows. But I do want folks to, to understand that as a nonprofit, we can't take sides. We want everyone to get involved. But it is key to all of us to get more people involved in the elections, in the electorate. And we want to take it to the next step. By encouraging you, and we'll give you times when you can go for the one-hour workshop where you will wind up becoming eligible to register other voters. And I've done that in the past. I took a class once uh, of some of my students, and there was a young Latina who went back to her high school and registered 100 students, which is fun and exciting. And, you know, folks wind up be taking ownership of the situation. So, again... We're deputizing you, if you're within the sound of my voice, we're deputizing you to get the vote out and get involved. And we'll keep you posted. Some of the issues, of course, everybody thinks that immigration is the only issue that Latinos care about. Of course, we care about education. We care about the arts. 
So we want to make sure that there's enough funding for the arts. And this is a nice segue into the interview. We also want to make sure that there's enough support for the art. So because you're listening to the show, that means that you have the message. It is up to you to let folks know. We're going to do a musical break, but I want Mari Carmen to tell us one thing. Does it really matter if a ton of folks go to the show? Does that help future programming? How does it help your argument for programming? Oh, absolutely. It, you know, The more people that come to the show, the more we demonstrate to the museum and to the funders and to the people who support us you know, the need for these kinds of shows and the need for our Latino community to come to the museum and not just come as, you know, as coming you know as audience but to be really stakeholders you know in the museum and what we're doing so i think it's absolutely important and we really need to say presente i love it so we're going to come back with a full interview with mari carmen ramirez the exhibit is going on right now at the museum of fine arts houston uh quickly uh how long does the show run until the show runs until january 27th and I'm going to mention that five times while on the air. Hey, this is Tony Diaz, El Libro Traficante. We're going to take a musical break. You're experiencing Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say on the air. We'll be right back. Que 
And you are back. You're experiencing Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having to say. We're giving you the soundtrack to an evolution. And hey, if you recognize that choice of music or that flow of the board, that's Patrick helping us out. You hear his wry sense of humor in the mornings as he does the traffic reports. Here he is tonight. I guess you've been here 24 hours. Thanks for helping us out, Mano. Appreciate it big time. And right now, we have in the studio live with us Mari Carmen Ramirez, who is our blessing at the Museum of Fine Arts Houston. And she's here to tell us about an awesome exhibit, Home So Different, So Appealing. It runs through January 21st of next year. It's another hit after hit after hit. Mari Carmen, thank you for being on the show. Oh, thank you. I'm very glad to be here. And yes, I, yes. No, Mira, and I think, uh, let, me, let me put it in this context. I think sometimes we get folks in certain positions, and for whatever reasons, they can't deliver knockout punches. Oh, yeah, este año. <laughs> <laughs> you have delivered some amazing knockout punches, and I do want to talk more about uh, home so different so appealing but i do want to give you all the respect you do for the amazing exhibit that just ended uh, paint the revolution about uh, modern mexican art that was fantastic yeah that was a great show and uh, it was a great show that came to us from philadelphia from the philadelphia museum of art but uh, really a truly astounding survey of one of the most important chapters in the history not only of mexican art but you know latin american art and world art so what we saw there were absolute masterpieces by diego rivera siqueiros uh, jose clemente orozco frida Kahlo. All of these great, great artists um, that uh, Mexico has produced. Now, before Hurricane Harvey hit, and somehow Hurricane Harvey works its way into most conversations, uh, that show was on a trajectory to have a blockbuster attendance. So it didn't reach its full potential. Because of Harvey, how many folks went? I think that we had about uh, 60 to 62,000 people came wow. to the show, which is a, a very high uh, mark for the museum because uh, particularly this was our first uh, ticketed Latin American exhibition. So people actually had to pay to come into the show. And I think it's, it's it did incredibly well, you know, with 60,000 people. Wow. I went three times. It was <laughs> <laughs> so you were <laughs> <laughs> and and what, what what is the highest attendance for for the museum? Which well, I think we've had exhibitions like uh, the Degas exhibition, the French artist, impressionist artist, who uh, I think it was around eighty three thousand. Oh my goodness! <laughs> now I, I don't like to dwell on what could have been, but I'm gonna for a little bit because we have to remember that Hurricane Harvey hit right at the beginning of Hispanic Heritage Month. Right. So here you had the momentum for the show. Exactly. And, of course, so folks get a context for how much damage Harvey did to just the the observation of Hispanic Heritage Month. The Hispanic Heritage Parade organized by Houston got postponed and finally canceled. Right. You know, you had schools being delayed. Right. People were really concerned with really very, very important and very primary issues, you know, like housing and uh, health and, you know, how to survive, you know, from that disaster. So, So even in light of that, a really powerful showing. And as you said before the musical break, really what we want to tell people is that it matters. It's like voting but for art. Right. Uh, let, let me ask you, what are some practical ways that, that it does matter? So if only 10,000 people had gone... 
is the museum maybe not as enthusiastic to invest time, energy, money into future exhibits? Perhaps? Right, of course. It would be very frustrating for all of us because, I mean, putting up these projects, you know, it requires an incredible amount of time, logistics. There's hundreds of people that work on these projects, you know, on, on both sides of uh, whether it's the museum that's sending the show, the museum that's receiving it, the lenders, you know, the people who do the shipping, the freighting, the registrars, the conservators. Mm. I mean, it's a huge enterprise. And, of course, it costs a lot of money. And uh, all of that, from our point of view, is justified if people really come to the show and they really appreciate it and they learn from it and they enjoy it because that's the purpose of the show is to, you know, make people uh, enjoy art and mm. really understand its meaning and its significance, not as something that's really way back in the past, you know, mm-hmm. like a century ago, but something that is really relevant for us today. And uh, even if it happened a hundred years ago and these things were painted a hundred years ago, I think the issues that were um, represented in that show are still relevant. Um, they have to do with freedom. They have to do with um, uh, with overcoming issues of race, issues of uh, class uh, and uh, uh, torture or, you know, uh, suffering. And I uh, I think that, you know, all of those issues are still very much relevant today. And um, a lot of them are also represented in this new exhibition that we're doing at the museum, uh, which is called, as I said before, Home So Different, So Appealing. And for folks who are paid attention, there will be a reward for you for paid attention. At the end of Mari Carmen's interview, I'm going to ask you two questions about our interview. And for the first two callers who call in with the correct answers, you will win a pair of tickets to see a Christmas Carol, which is being uh, put on by Stages Theater, I believe it's at the match because they too suffered during Harvey. Yes, very much. So uh, we're, we're spreading out in many different ways, but that brings us to the new show. And I do want to commend you, uh, Mari Garvin, because I think, especially with the new show as well, I don't want folks to feel intimidated. I want them to know que van con cariño. If you go. And again, you, I want you to be the cool tío or tío, if you're listening, <laughs> that takes the nephews to right. cool events they might hear about. And yeah, they're going to be like, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. I promise you that just like with the other show, with this show, if you just walk in, you will take something from it. But then either later or if you buy the book that accompanies the exhibit, you can go into fascinating deep levels is that how you set up these shows absolutely absolutely uh they're two very different shows i mean the show that we were talking about paint the revolution is a historic show people are going to see a lot of important masterpieces um paintings uh, mostly paintings and sculpture very traditional forms of art uh home so different so appealing is at the opposite end of that because it's a very very contemporary cutting-edge show um that is made of Everything except traditional painting and sculpture. Uh, so you're going to see works done That's with so cool. works done with coca leaves, works done with um, with uh, pieces of furniture, recycling of garbage, and uh, other you know forms of everyday life of trash. Uh, you're going to see a huge, monumental, extraordinary work made out of the carpet of an uh, entire apartment. 
um, uh, Carmen Argote, uh, a young Latina artist from L.A., um, who was an immigrant. And her family came from Mexico, from Guadalajara. And they lived for a family of five or six, lived for almost 30 years in this small 700-square-foot apartment. Mm. And what she did for this work is she literally stripped the carpet of the apartment and turned it into this uh, in-between object. It's between painting and sculpture. And um, she just painted it uh, white. Wow. Uh, and uh, But she can see through the white, you can see the stains, you know, of the use, you know, of the carpet, you know, all of this uh, life that is kind of uh, impregnated, you know, in, in the carpet. And it's a stunning piece. I mm. mean, people can't get over it. Um, you will see works like Autoconstrucción or Self-Construction by Abraham Cruz Villegas from Mexico City. And Abraham Cruz Villegas uh, is an artist who grew up in uh, a parachute colonia paracaidista or a parachute colony uh, in uh, in Mexico City. What? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's a, it's a it's a place where you know people just took over and they created their own community. They built their own houses. They didn't know how to build. Man. They were not architects or artisans, you know. But they had to learn how to do it. And they the community all helped themselves. You know, it, they helped every family helped the other families, and they grew up, you know, to be this you know amazing. Community community um, that the government had to end up by giving them the land. And so it's a it's a kind of form of social organization. Uh, it's a form of social organization mm. that's, you know, that is known as autoconstrucción. So you're going to see like a, a fragment of that in the exhibition. Um, you're going to see uh, works made out of clay and uh, plasticine, you know, by the group, uh, collective group Monongo uh, from Argentina. Uh, and uh, you're also going to see, you know, a work that's just words uh, made out of coca leaves by the Colombian artist uh, Miguel Angel Rojas. Mm. And another absolutely amazing amazing work uh, was done by Camilo Ontiveros, a Mexican artist who lives in L.A., and he takes, again, his own experience as an immigrant, um, and he puts together these sculptures, you know, which he bundles up, uh, very much like the kinds of bundles that people use in the pickup trucks, you know, when to go to carry their possessions, their refrigerators mm. and beds and all of that across the border. But in this case, what he did was he took all of the possessions of uh, the first DACA student who wow. was deported, you know, by the present administration. Uh, this is a... A college uh, student who had to leave from, you know, one moment to the next, had to leave everything behind. And so Camilo came and he took all of his possessions, his bed, his computer, his boxing gloves, you know, taekwondo outfits, you know, his clothes, everything. He bundled it up. And it's one of the first things that you see in the exhibition. It is really Qué very, fuerte. Uh, very fuerte. It's very impressive, you know. Um, Man. Yeah. So it, this, you know, it, all of these are works that artists, they're reinventing how to make art. They're making new ways of, you know, new materials, new techniques, and they're kind of reinventing the whole concept of art. They're using things from everyday, our, our everyday surroundings. Um, to uh, convey things that are very topical today, you know, that speak to issues of immigration, to speak mm -hmm. to uh, criminal justice uh, system. Uh, there's a, a very moving, very large-scale installation by the uh, New Yorkian artist Pepon Osorio. 
And it is, he does this very, he takes up a whole gallery, and on one side there's the room of a 15-year-old kid from the Bronx that has, is completely uh, wallpapered with um, baseball cards and, you know, basketballs mm. and uh, his tennis shoes. I mean, everything that a 15-year-old kid would have. And on the other side is the prison cell mm. of his father. And the piece is called Badge of Honor because amongst these kids in the Bronx, it used to be uh, a badge of honor to have a dad in, wow. in prison. But then there are two videos uh, facing each other, and it's the kid talking to the dad and the dad talking to the kid. And I have had so many people who just like say, you know, they just stood in front of this work and cried, you know, oh because it goodness. is so absolutely moving. So, so it is a show that people may feel um, perhaps that, you know, it's not – the traditional painting, you know, it's not Frida Kahlo or Rivera, but it is, it speaks to our everyday realities, you know, and what we're living today. And, and of course, I want to remind folks, the show is called Home, So Different, So Appealing. The website is mfah.org. And l let me ask you this then. So, for example, um, people may not understand what a big deal this is, because I love that Yes, it's easy to explain to folks who are in the art world why we should have Diego Rivera at the, mm -hmm. at the museum. I hope listeners understand that this is a real big moment for us to prove the depth of the, of the Latino aesthetic and, and the imagination. How big a deal is it for this Art to the Museum of Fine Arts Houston? Uh, I mean, you, this is a major... <laughs> global center for art. What, walk us through that. How, how big a deal is this? It is a very big deal because um, the museum, you know, we've we've done a lot of shows of Latin American art, which means when we say Latin American art, it's like everything south of the border. Uh, this is the first time that we bring together Latino, U.S. Latino mm. artists, Puerto Rican, New Yorican, uh, Chicano, Chicana, Latino, Latina, with artists from Colombia, Venezuela, Mexico, Argentina, Uruguay. Uh, so it's, it, it, you know, it sounds like this should be, you know, the way things should be. But unfortunately, <laughs> in the art world, things tend to get, you know, separated. And in the publishing world and in all the and, other worlds. In all the other worlds. So this is the first time that we're bringing them together and we're saying, you know, we're all part of the same culture, you know, and because we're living it in our neighborhoods, you know, Colombians mm -hmm. and Argentinians and Chicanos, Latinos, you know, they're all mixing mm -hmm. up and they're all part of the same, uh, of the same political and, and cultural reality and identity to Day, as you know, is something very fluid. You can't contain identity within national right. borders. You know, identity is a very fluid thing. It's how we, we have many different kinds of identities. And so this is, this is bringing them together. And um, it is uh, the commitment of the museum also to the Latino community. And uh, it's very important for us, for the Latino community to understand um, that the museum is not a social club, you know, it's not an elite club, uh, that we are the, the institution that can really uh, preserve and project, you know, Latino heritage, and that we want Latinos to be part of the museum as, you know, stakeholders, you know, in what, in what we're doing. Uh, so this Powerful. is a major, a major step, and we're doing all sorts of programming. You know, you probably have received the list, and mm -hmm. we can, uh, we will keep, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, updating you and mm -hmm. posting you on the different activities. Uh, that will be taking place in the next few weeks as well. As and and one of those, of course, is this Thursday with Lupe Mendez and yes. the Projects. Projects. Yes. Uh, we'll have Josh in the second half of the show. But I want to thank you, too, because here is a major uh, art institution 
but really digging in deep into the community. And I think it's our job then. We, we get why we need to go, but we got to get other folks to go so that not, not just that the institution understands. I want our community right. to be blown away. I think the community needs to be blown away, and they need to come with an open mind, you know, to learn something new, something that relates to their lives, Mm -hmm. but that's going to be expressed in ways that they have no, they don't anticipate, that they have to be open to it, and they have to be open to experiencing it in new new ways. And I I can assure them that, you know, it's going to be a hell of a ride. Dang! (laughs) That's what's up. Oh, man. Mari Carmen, thank you so much for, for keeping us in tune with what you're doing and for doing what you do. Now, dear listeners, here's the quiz. Marlon, should I make it hard or easy? Should I make it difficult or easy? Uh, I say make it medium. Medium. Fine. We'll do a medium. <laughs> a ver. So, dear listeners, the number is 713-526-5738. Marlon will be attending, and we're giving away two passes to see A Christmas Carol. And I guess the first question... Oh, okay. First question. How many folks attended... The exhibit, uh, Paint the Revolution. I think that's a fair question, but not yes, a fair absolutely. one. And then the second one will be, oh, I know, name some of the com- countries or uh, groups that are represented in the art, as mentioned by Mari Carmen. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Absolutely. Okay, okay Marlene, you got that? Uh, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fair because the listeners need to hear the question back to them. In the meantime, there was 516 Five seven three eight, and of course you can go to the website mfah.org if you want to share this interview with your friends or your classes or your teachers. You can go to nuestapalabra.org tomorrow. We'll have the podcast on there, and we'll tweet it out also as well. And Marlon, any questions about the question? Okay, so I have the first question as how many people attended the Painter Revolution exhibit? Yes, and the second question is name the countries or groups that were represented yes in where though in the home in, in, in home, home. Okay. yes in home fantastic Mari Carmen thank you so much and continue thank success. you gracias gracias hey you're experiencing siempre un placer oh gracias <laughs> you're experiencing nuestra palabra Latino writers having their say we're going to take a musical interlude as we take your calls for the winners and we wish you all the best of luck and can't wait to see you at home gracias Es el sosiego en plenas curvas Tremendísima escultura Tú mi sexo opuesto no eres débil Más bien fuerte sin costilla masculina Te has creado, puedo verte un poco más Que demasiado, ese rostro maquillado De alegría y de entusiasmo Ahí circula lo pintado Ni la rosa ni el rosado atribuyen tu intelecto Ni vestidos ni tajones glorifican Ese aspecto más de libros que de flores Tan segura de ti misma No te intimidan, no Tantas vistas de referéndum femenino Contra todo ese contraste, no hay descartes Para esa geometría clase aparte No hay certeza me empato un canto que compitan las muñecas Tú compites pa' quitarte esa mancha de ley seca Libertad proclama clamas, libertad por otras camas Para un código penal con su violencia destacada Referendo femenino Cambiando aquel triste camino Combatiente, militante Hija, madre del destino Somos cómplices, mirada sincera Que de lo profundo Caminando hacia la libertad 
manifestación de la madre tierra Deidad con la capacidad de causar guerras Mujer, el más hermoso ser del planeta entero Al despertar te bendigo, me inspiro, te quiero, deliro Resuelvo todo contando contigo Eres parte de mi ser, nacimos para estar unidos Y no entiendo como idiotas no notan que eres amor Que un besito de tu boca una vida pone colores Este es el canto de un negrito que desde el fondo la quiere Respeto para las mujeres del canto de un negrito que desde el fondo la quiere. Bendición para las mujeres. Latinoamérica despierta y date cuenta que la mujer es el más valioso del mundo. Es tiempo de que se pare el abuso. Cómplices, mirada sincera que de lo profundo We are back. We have uh, a couple winners. We'll give their names out in a little bit. I believe the last winner was Sharon. We're taking down her information, and she got one of the answers correctly. I will reveal the answers in a little bit, but we still have the other caller being vetted, I guess it would be the right word. And really a great interview with Mari Carmen Ramirez. I want to remind folks that the rest of the crew is out and about all over. That means Libre Traficante Lilo, Liana Lopez, Libre Traficante High Tech Aztec Brian Parras, Libre Traficante Lips Mendez, Lupe Mendez. We are congratulating him because he and his wife are expecting a baby. So we're very happy for him. Want to thank him for all the works that he does for the community. And he is the co-founder of Tintero. I believe Jasmine would be the other co-founder as well. And they've co-founded a baby now. <laughs> In addition to that, but they do a monthly reading at Stages Theater, which is right here in Houston, Texas. Really great outlet for more unique voices. And of course, this Thursday, he'll be bringing several writers to do a reading where they've written about what it means to be home. I believe Isis Fernandez, another Nuestra Palabra alum, will be sharing her work as well. You don't want to miss that. And I really think it is beautiful that we are combining international artists with local artists. And right now, then, we've got Innocencia on the line. I believe we have, uh, uh, I'm sorry, we're getting a little tinny, a little tinny response. I believe we have Josh Innocencio. Are you there, Josh? Yes, I'm here. Hey, thank you so much for calling in. 
Of course. Thank you for having me. And I know our listeners remember for having you on as you were preparing for a stage reading of your play. But I'm going to read your bio anyway. Josh Innocencio is a Houston-based writer and performer, originally published as a poet in the Winwood Review during his undergraduate year at Texas A&M University, Corpus Christi. Josh works in multiple genres, including poetry, creative nonfiction, and plays. After finishing his master's in theater studies at Florida State University, he returned to Tejas, where he tours his solo play Purple Eyes. In addition, Josh is a staff writer for Spectrum South, the voice of the queer South, where he contributes autofiction, essays, and journalistic articles that cover LGBTQ-related issues across the U.S. South. Currently, Josh is working on a trilogy project entitled Splintered in Three. He's part of the reading this Thursday, and next year, Purple Eyes will be performed at Stages. Congratulations, and thanks for calling back in, Josh. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> now, I, 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 I want to talk about what you're doing Thursday, but first, tell us about the full production of your play that will be at Stages coming up. Oh, yeah, of course. So, um, Purple Eyes, which is the first play in that trilogy that I mentioned, is getting its world premiere at uh, Stages Repertory Theater. So, for the past year and a half, I've um, toured the play, to solo play, to different um, colleges and universities and smaller theaters around Texas. And um, it's kind of culminating now in this um, in this world premiere that's happening with the Sin Muros Festival that um, Tintero Projects has helped out a lot with as well. Um, and so there will be a full uh, production of Purple Eyes. There will be three readings of other plays there and another production happening that weekend as well. It's the first weekend in February. But, um, yeah, I mean, basically this is kind of what I've been working for, and I'm really happy that it's happening at stages because they've um, – uh, they've done a lot to invest in local writers like myself and the play, which is about my family's immigration journey from Michoacan, Mexico to Houston, is very much, a lot of it takes place in Houston. Um, uh, so this, it's really important to me that the play is getting its premiere um, in the city that made so much of the play. And of course, I've had a, I've had a, uh, the pleasure of seeing a version of it, and it is fantastic, but it really is great to see good guys win because you've been hustling you've been working hard of course probably some folks who stumble into the theater that day will think it's an overnight success and you are a success but you've been working hard at mono so first of all congratulations <laughs> for being you. true to the craft and and how does it feel to to know that it's coming to to fruition at stages it's awesome because you know i've i knew about stages when i was growing up here in houston as a kid and you know, coming moving back to Houston, it's always uh, a theater that I've looked up a lot to. So um, it feels like a big deal for me. I've been really excited, and a lot of people outside of Houston are familiar with um, stages. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when we talk about it, it's got a national presence. And so this is also a good place for um, the play to happen. I love it. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> I love it. And I think, too, in the broader context, what I want our listeners to, to, to know and to gain animo from is that perhaps we're not conveyed. Well, no, we're not conveyed the right way in mainstream media. Perhaps we're not in all the schools at the level we should be. Uh, Texas State Board of Education has not adopted mixed American studies directly. But I want you to understand what's going on in this city. Here we have. We just left. Uh, we just had a great interview with Mari Carmen Ramirez, who is, you know, la mera mera at one of the most important 
art institutes uh, in in the nation, the Museum of Fine Arts Houston, and she's gone out of her way to work with one of our own, actually several of our own, because it's Tintero Projects, which is founded by Lupe Mendez, who's a Nuestra Palabra alum, a Libra Traficante, and here's Josh, who's part of the familia, Isis Fernandez, who's Nuestra Palabra Familia, Jasmine Mendez, who's Nuestra Palabra Familia and Libra Traficante. Here we are on a show talking about it. So, yes, I want you to go Thursday night and enjoy it, but I really need you to understand how far we've come, how big this is, but not take it for granted. It's an all-day hustle. Now we need you to go experience this and to tell other people about it. And it is about home because you just said this is like a coming home to you. Tell us what you're doing for Thursday at the home exhibit. Cool. Okay, so I've... um... So kind of going back to the trilogy that um, that I mentioned, Splintered in Three, which um, is, is very much about home and finding home, not just in a physical place, but also thinking about the human body, of a, a, a multicultural body like myself, as how do I find home, um, how do I find a home in me. And um, the trilogy project that I'm working on, Purple Eyes, is the first play. The second play is about my Austrian roots. My dad's parents were from both. Mexico and Austria, and then the third play is called Chocolate Gravy and White Jesus, and that play is set in eastern Kentucky, where my mom's from, and uh, I am actually thinking about, with this piece, I'm doing a scene, and I'll have a reading partner there with me on Thursday as well, but I'm working on that play, and I've used this uh, Museum of Fine Arts Commission to kind of write a new scene for it, and the play is kind of thinking about you know, how do I balance this, like, being Latino but also being Appalachian and coming at it from that way? Mm. And how do I find a home with these two entities that are very much at war with each other, have been in the past? Um, and how do I find a balance with all three of them? And I think that what's interesting from my perspective is I'm, I'm a fair-skinned Latino, and so I grew up uh, with a great sense of pride of coming from both Spanish and Mexican roots. Like it was, there was, I never really experienced uh, a lot of shame around that because it was something I had the privilege to be proud of, um, given a lot of what I look like. But, you know, during my adolescence a lot too, I was much more ashamed of being, uh, of being from Kentucky. Not, I'm not born there, but I grew up there a lot in between a lot of times. But I, I dealt with a lot of shame around that, about being associated with like, hillbillies and being uneducated and things like that, but Kentucky is very much a second home of mine, and I went through a period where I was very much, I had a hard time establishing um, like a healthy relationship with the place, uh, but it is the land out of all three of my ethnic backgrounds that I am the most connected to. I didn't grow up going to Mexico and Austria, but I did grow up going to Kentucky, and so this scene about or that I've written um, deals with some elements of like being Latino and having cultural pride, but also like understanding my cultural home in relationships to in relationship to its like three different um, these three different backgrounds. So it's taking a look at that, and I'm I'm still wrapping up the scene that I'm going to perform, but. Uh, yeah, that's to give a kind of that's how I'm thinking about it anyway. <laughs> wow, no, and that's great to hear too because it gives us a sense of all the um, uh, the intellectual work that goes in 
you know, I'm sure when folks experience it, they're just going to experience the words in front of them. But here you are positioning yourself rhetorically, spiritually to, to make it work. Give us a little insights. I am not Appalachian. I know people think I'm not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about that background. Tell us a little uh, very basic components of that experience. Um, well, so interestingly, with the three plays that I've written, they all rely a lot on linguistic variations, right? Purple Eyes has a fair amount of Spanish and particularly Southwest Spanish. Little Edelweiss, the second play, has uh, a bit of German in it as well. But the, uh, this play, you know, it's not a different language, obviously, that's spoken in Appalachia, but it is a very different kind of dialect, so much so that when I've had people from out of the country meet my family in eastern Kentucky. Um, there's often a huge barrier in terms of understanding each other because really, it's, it's, it's heard. oh yeah, <laughs> wow. yeah, yeah. Um, and you can, you can. I mean, a lot of the like music that I grew up around as a kid was like Loretta Lynn, who's from eastern Kentucky. She's not far from where um, my family is from and where they're still based. Um, so the the dialect is different, but language was always very key for me. I'll say that um, in growing up. I used to um, I used to imitate my 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 grandma and my <laughs> aunt a lot because I really love the cadence of it because it has a kind of sing song lilt how they speak so dialect and language has been a, a big way of um, accessing my Eastern are you are you going to give and, us some and, of that are you going to give us some of that on the air today <laughs> you you know I will say this you'll see it on Thursday and, and I'll, I'll say this we talk a lot about in like the Latino community how we code switch between Spanish and English and Spanglish, and that's certainly something I do a lot with my uh, Spanish-speaking family that lives in San Antonio. The same kind of code switching happens um, in Appalachia. If you ever see me in in eastern Kentucky, <laughs> you will see me have like a total accent switch and a, fra- and a phraseology switch. With my mom, if she's ever on the phone and she's talking to her mother, I always know before I hear before she confirms anything because her accent switches completely when she's on the phone. So there's a kind of code switching that happens um, that's intergenerational and it's tied to region. That is um, that uh, it is certainly a way of of keeping that culture alive and sustained. Even though I never lived there beyond you know a month at a time, um, it is something that I access and use and. Um, um, and, and a way to feel more uh, more comfortable. <laughs> so it's, mm. it's it's some kind of code switching, and one we don't talk about as much. No, and I think too, what you're working on is, in my estimation, perfect for the show, because it's this exploration of who you are, what you're about, uh, at a profound level. Because I think sometimes in the art world, people dismiss that char- journey we go through. But I bring it up right now. Because we're about to see the visual manifestation of that search and those answers in the exhibit. But what I love is what you're giving us on the air is the ruminations that you have to go through, maybe the reverie. And tell me if you agree with this. I would argue that all of our community goes through this, but not all of us have the privilege and honor to be able to dig into it or to express it. Um, do you think that's fair to say? Oh, yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think there's often, when we're trying to find communities, um, we, we often kind of conform to the pressures of to being what we think mm. that particular community should look like. I know when I was uh, discovering more and more about my Mexican roots, 
there was always this pressure to kind of like, oh, you know, Aztec mythology is the established mythology of like the Latino community, and that's what you know, that's kind of what we go back to. But as I did more family research, I found out more and more that we were Borepecha, which was uh, the only empire that the Aztecs were unable to um, defeat before the Spanish arrived. And I, I, I um, wanted to be a part of this like larger kind of neo-Aztec movement with the Latino community. But then I started finding out all of this about my own history and was like, no, 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 I've got to embrace these kinds of nuances, right? Like I've got to, I've got to kind of be my own voice and and, and recall my own heritage in this way, um, even though there was less less community around it here in the U.S. and certainly less. Um, history and literature around it as well. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, I think that is a journey that we all go through, and we're always walking this tightrope of conforming to what the community, the historical community has established and what we know and find out about ourselves. That's powerful. And, and I think the the flip side of that, too, is that I'm glad that, one, you can talk about that on the air, and, two, we can see the expression of that through the written side on Thursday, as well as the visual exhibit overall. But what I'd love for people to think about is that I think even our most humble member of the community, as well as the most intellectual, goes through this. But I want you to think about how much it hurts to have this bottled up. What does it eat at if you can't put it into words? And what do we... We we give people... uh, a lobotomy by forcing them to deny this or not humanizing them enough to experience this. So I'd like people to understand that that's, that's how much that's, that's at stake. And, uh, when do you think you'll, when do you think you'll have, uh, this baby cooked? Cause showtime is Thursday, right? Uh, like around 7 p.m., I believe, 6 p.m., I think. Um, yes. 6 p.m. So when do, when, when does Josh decide, okay, this is ready, or this is what I'm going on with. So as far as what I'm performing for Thursday, I'll be done by tomorrow afternoon because I want time to be able to rehearse it a little bit um, and then have Thursday to Thursday morning to only do, like, tiny changes. Like, mm-hmm. if uh, I'm talking about, like, little word changes and stuff. So I always give myself a cutoff time of saying I can write up until this period, particularly <laughs> if there's a performance involved. And then I, from that point, I perform what I have the material that I've written and um, make only minor changes after that, or else, or else I'd be going up into the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and of course, this is part of the process that you spent years on, as you did with uh, Purple Eyes, because I, right, I'm, I'm yeah. going to guess it's the same approach, right? You can't, uh, you can't shortcut it. It's got to be this, right? Right, right, exactly. Can't wait. Well, do us a favor, Josh. Give us your websites and other ways that folks can keep track of you and and get in touch with you. Sure. The best um, the best website for me is just my name, Josh Inocencio. That the last name is I N O C E N C I O. Joshinocencio dot com, and I have an events page on there and a news page that will keep people updated about where I'm at and what I'm doing and stuff like that. Great. Well, we wish you continued success. Please keep us posted, and we can't wait to see you Thursday. Gracias. Thank you so much.
You are experiencing Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say on the air. I want to thank folks for tuning in. I want to thank the whole crew for putting together a great show. And I want to thank Houston for giving us so many awesome things to work with. And if you've got a scorecard going, hey, we had Museum of Fine Arts Houston alluded to, Stages Theater alluded to, um, also... Uh, Alley Theater alluded to <laughs> today. And, of course, great music, bringing it to you through KPFT. And this is what we've been doing. We're happy to celebrate 20 years of Nuestra Palabra coming up in April. Of course, if you've missed some of that, our hard copy archives are kept for your study at the special archives of the Houston Public Library. Our radio broadcasts are archived by the University of Houston Digital Archives. And, of course, we'll be posting this tomorrow at NuestraPalabra.org so you can listen to the podcast. And we're planning next week as well. You want to tell folks what's up for next week, Madeline? Uh, yes, next week we have Edward Vidari, who's the Poet Laureate from McAllen. Nice. And we have Claudia Martinez. Fantastic. A Cinco Puntos Press author. Yes. So stay tuned for that next mm -hmm. week. And that'll be our last broadcast of the year. We'll be doing a, a rebroadcast re for Christmas, <laughs> for New Year's. But I promise you, 2018 is going to be incredible. Also, uh, congratulations to Miss Sharon, who won a pair of tickets to the Christmas Carol. Fantastic. Hope you'll enjoy that. That's our little gift to you, and thank you for being a observant, if we can use that word for listening, listener. Hey, Patrick, thank you so much for helping out, man. Yeah, good show. No, appreciate that. And uh, we'll be listening to you tomorrow like we always do, because we love KPFT. Hey, this is Tony Diaz, El Libro Traficante. Libro Traficante Malu. Libro Traficante Malu. And Patrick. We can we can use a nickname. That's right. We'll, we'll work on it. We'll, we'll give him a we'll, we'll do a Libro Traffic on the naming ceremony soon. Yes, okay. we will. Tune right. in next week. Thank you. Awesome. Have a good one. The forested land around our bayous act as the kidneys of the water system. They clean out pollutants and help manage flooding in times of high rainfall. Preventing more Houston land from being covered in concrete ensures that more of the precious little water that falls has the ability to soak into the ground and our aquifers. Living with water shortages or damaging floods brings to light how connected we all are to the natural world around us. Our health suffers without clean water and fresh air. Families suffer without safe places to spend time together outdoors. Bayou Land Conservancy, a local nonprofit organization celebrating its 20th anniversary, works to permanently protect land in the greater Houston area with a special focus on the 13 watersheds that feed Lake Houston. Please visit our website at www.bayoulandconservancy.org or find us on social media. KPFD Houston. 
Houston Renewable Energy Group invites you to their monthly solar installation workshop. This workshop addresses all issues related to installation and operation. Ideal for those with a technical background or do-it-yourselfers in need of guidance or troubleshooting with their solar installation project. Workshops take place at TXRX Labs, 205 Roberts Street, Houston, Texas, 77003. On the last Friday of each month, except for July and December, from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. For more information, visit eventbrite.com and search Houston Renewable Energy Group or email info at houstonrenewableenergy.org. KPFT Houston.